everybody. Welcome to the Be There in 5 podcast. I am Kate, owner-founder, Be There in 5, LLC. Perhaps I'll try to introduce myself a little differently every week. So I was born in California, raised in Virginia, went to college in Virginia, then moved to New York, then moved to Chicago, then moved to San Francisco, then moved back to Chicago, and now I've been in Chicago, really with my husband and my dog tugboat. I am 30 years old. I started a doormat company when I needed a creative outlet during my corporate job. That took off. I left my job, did the doormat, did some artwork, did some consulting. Now I'm doing a few other things. I've recently become familiarized with the term multipreneur and gotta say, really relieved that there's a term for it because some people might call it disjointed, unfocused, or uh, spreading oneself too thin. But I always like to see it as I'm not just one thing. Why well, have just one company that does one thing? I'm gonna try five different things and whatever six. Whatever makes me that fu lip kit money, that's what I'm gonna. That's that's the uh, Wade I'm gonna arrive. Wade I'm gonna arrive. That that that's that that isn't case in point why I'm never gonna be a quote unquote self made billionaire like Kylie Jenner. It is because I say things like Wade I'm gonna arrive. It's like 11 a.m. and I'm still so tired. I'm mixing up my consonants. So pathetic. <laughs> but alas, I'm here. I'm committed to spending an hour plus a a week with all of you because I'm so grateful that you're here and you come back and um. You know, I guess I can't blame you because I'm pretty sure this is the podcast that's, you know, ranked 115th among self-made thousandaires. Um, so I can understand why I would be the foremost authority on many topics. Uh, just like Kylie Jenner this week we learned is self-made. She is almost the world's youngest self-made billionaire, surpassing uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Evan Spiegel, who... Ironically, she costed a billion dollars when she said she didn't use Snapchat anymore. So really, I think she should pay him back because that's messed up, even though Snapchat does kind of suck. It's really alarming to think one person holds that kind of power, especially somebody with such a so little personality. And I'm sure she has one in real life, but she has very little personality on her Snapchat, on any of her social media properties because she's one of those ironic cases of people that are incredibly guarded because of their fame, but conveniently capitalize off that very fame. So therefore, it's not in a mutual exchange. And it's really frustrating because when people talk bad about her, she's like, you don't know me. But then she's like making a, she's uh, allegedly on track to make a billion dollars because of absolutely nothing besides her name and her fame, because she doesn't have unique or proprietary formulas, processes or capital in her business that give it that value. It's just being Kylie and putting the name on someone else's makeup. It's wild. And I guess for me, it's just hard for me to understand why people are so obsessed with her and buying so much product when I don't feel like she shows that much of herself. Like she just fell off the face of the earth for nine months while she was pregnant, like truly did. And her stuff was still selling. That's, 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 I mean, awesome, I guess. But I don't feel like she's like funny. She doesn't really produce interesting content. And I know I've been talking about the Kardashians too much lately, but this Kylie Jenner self-made billionaire thing. It's a, it caused quite a stir in the regular world, but it especially caused quite a stir in the women's small business ownership world. So I want to address it and kind of speak to his personal experience from starting a business and how I see the self-made thing. I'm less hung up on self-made as I am with the company's valuation, to be totally honest, as it seems like a PR thing. I, I see such mixed things about Kylie and everyone's like, you know, the people, half the world is being like, she is not self-made. That's a poor use of the term. No one's contesting the amount itself, rather just the term self-made. And half the people are like, oh my God, girl boss crushing it. If you hate us, you ain't us. Like you, she, you were, if you 
don't support Kylie, you are jealous. As if that's something I didn't know. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Nadoi, I'm so jealous. Are you kidding me? Girlfriend plumps up her lips underage, maybe illegally. Uh, we all become fascinated with her inability to admit it. Then she says she overlines them. Then she finally says she gets lip fillers. No one cares. We already knew. And then she capitalizes on them with these lip kits by putting her name on ColourPop's manufacturing process and charging like five times as much as what they do for their liquid and velvet and matte lipsticks. And now she's a cosmetics empire allegedly worth $900 million. Here's the thing. Yes, she 100% owns it. That's an important thing to note. A lot of billionaires do not own 100% equity stake in their companies. That is a big deal. Secondly, I commend her because, yes, she has... She comes from enormous privilege. She comes from an already wealthy family. And yes, she is essentially coming off the path that Kim paved. As much flack as they give the Kardashians, I am equal parts uh, a critic and impressed by their rise to fame because I think they've done it in a way that hasn't been done before. And I don't like when people discount innovation just because um, the, the, the content or the subject matter at hand is somewhat trivial. Like, yes, they don't have specific talent in a traditional means, but their talent is the capitalization of their fame that started small and is now huge. And that's what Forbes said on the cover. Like, it's the era of of leveraging one's fame. And Kylie could have gone the route of Rob. Even though... I do not think she's self-made and she is coming from a place of privilege and she's capitalizing off of what her sister's done. Also, it's like, well, if you're already in that position, why wouldn't you take advantage of it? And she's a person who took it seriously and channeled it into a passion and built this huge following without even really doing anything, but just like kind of staying out of trouble. And then there's Rob, who the fame has absolutely destroyed him. And he's made one bad decision after the other, and he's, like, still in hiding in his house. He's probably in Chloe's house. He's probably just sitting in front of those jars of perfectly symmetrical, geometric vanilla wafers. Just, like, eating everything inside and wallowing in his depression he can't seem to get out of. And, well, I take mental health more seriously than anybody. It is hard to watch somebody like Rob just absolutely let the fame and privilege eat them alive. And, yes, I know that is a tough pun because he does eat a lot, but I... Because you kind of want to be like, snap out of it. Do you know what you could be doing? Do you know what other people would do with this platform? And he just cannot seem to get it together. Same way I feel about Lamar. Like, how entitled do you feel to just, like, have this level of fame and privilege and opportunity that you just completely throw it away? I would say that about Scott, but, you know, I love Scott. (laughs) And I somehow he does make money or he's in a lot of debt. It's hard to tell. Again, he and Courtney's financial situation confuses me to no end because like Kim and Chloe are have partners with independent wealth outside of Kardashian fame. Scott is solely dependent on his Kardashian association, yet spends obscene amounts of money. Yet Courtney is the only one without a business. And she's like always over it and like not wearing deodorant and not letting her kids eat Lucky Charms. Yet she takes 90-day vacations on yachts with her 23-year-old boyfriend who aggressively comments on her Instagram. And I'm uncomfortable with that. I, I, think, it's a, I, I think it shows an anger or rage problem. If you're going to publicly shame your girlfriend for posting a sexy photo whose family is lit, like your, your mouth is being fed because of that ass, like leave, leave it alone, Eunice. 
You don't need to comment like, oh, you want attention? Is that what you need to do for likes? I did not read it as sarcasm. I read it as male aggression. And if I were a 39-year-old mother of three kids and my boyfriend was being petty and like saying something like that on Instagram, I'd be like, get a life, go away. She doesn't need that. That's the thing is Courtney has so many kids. She just, and she's older and I think she has perspective and she's just not as thirsty as the rest of them. And I respect her for that, but I'm also worried about her spending. But I guess, you know, with Kylie and with her mother making 10% of that billion, she'll always be set with her family alone. But I kind of wonder how that works. Like, if you have a few family members that are super wealthy and you're like pretty wealthy, are you kind of like, Kylie, can you just pay for the plane? Like, do you think they Venmo each other? Do you think that, you know, when they go on these extravagant vacations, like Courtney feels awkward hitching a ride on the p- private plane? I was going to say the PP because Jill Zarin said that in Real, Real Housewives of New York season one, and I always hated it. And then if I said it without context, I would have hated myself. Um, I just, you know, these are the things I think about. Uh, when they go to get chopped salads, they eat out of a plastic bowl. Who's buying? You know, Courtney, 98% of each episode... Courtney is weirdly sticking a fork in her mouth and sliding the lettuce out with her teeth and just talking with her mouth full. And it's really frustrating. Those salads are the real stars, let's be honest. But yeah, so at least Kylie isn't Rob. Good American isn't making a billion. KKW Beauty's not making a billion. Kim Kardashian West, though, it, it also bottles my mind with fury and jealousy that, and I said bottles my mind because she sells bottles of perfume that millions of people buy that no one smelled yet. Buying a perfume off the internet is literal insanity. And, um, yeah, I don't know what the others do. Kendall models, you know, you're only but so scalable if you yourself are the talent and are the product. She's wealthy, but, you know, probably has a bit of a cap. Her endorsements might have helped her like Pepsi, but we all know how that turned out. Um, and, uh, also I think I've said about Kendall, uh, my speculations about her, but let's, let's all call a spade a spade and that her meow tattoo on her lip isn't, it's not random. It has a meaning. She, she doesn't just like love cats and she's not dating any of the people anyone says she's dating. But if you guys read the blinds, you know that that's not news to you. But anyway, Read the valuation. It, it, it's much less about the self-made word to me as it was, as it relates to outrage for this Forbes article. Like, yes, that's annoying. But that 800 million number is what's so confusing to me. They, they value her endorsements and such at 100 million and Kylie Cosmetics specifically at 800 million. I need I need to know more about that valuation because I don't know if it's right. And it feels like convenient PR and it's very grounded in revenue and we know absolutely nothing about her actual business model. To, to give you an example, because I, I was reading a lot about this, because company valuations are complicated methodologies that are a bit of an art, art and a science and all of different coefficients for value. An example would be Avon, a major cosmetics company, generated $5.7 billion in revenue in 2017. But the company's valuation is $1.5 billion. Their annual profit was like 273 million of that 5.7 billion. So you can be an extremely high revenue generating company, but profits matter, margins matter, cash flow matters. And even Avon, they manufacture many of their own products and they have like a whole infrastructure and a, a series of assets that they are critical to make those products. Whereas Kylie, is, are their expensive rebranded products from Seed Beauty? 
which manufactures other brands like ColourPop. So the the valuation is, and again, I'm not a finance person. And, you know, if you can explain this to me, please reach out. But like, even if Kylie negotiated like the best margin ever, her total sales are 630 million, which revenue is not the same as, a, as your valuation. Like what is her profit? Because Forbes, Forbes says, even with the conservative multiple applying their standard 20% discount, they value the company at 800 million. Wild part was what I was talking about earlier is that the manufacturing and packaging is outsourced to Seed Beauty. The sales and fulfillment is outsourced to Shopify. Finance and PR is Chris, and she has um, five part-time and seven full-time employees working on Kylie Cosmetics. So to be fair, she's really light overhead, very low cost, and she outsources everything to third parties. Truly all her job is, is marketing and branding and like her herself not screwing up because what's like kind of crazy to me and semi-volatile sounding to me is that all of the products and processes, like none of them are proprietary. None of them are unique to her. They don't have patents. They don't have, they don't have capital that really has value outside of her public brand and persona and her being in the public's favor. So she's really have to, she has to be careful to keep people interested in her and Otherwise, she needs to be making new formulas and new products and building out her own manufacturing because that way it's proprietary and you can't get it anywhere else. But if if we get if we're tired of Kylie, won't we just, you know, buy it from other seed beauty brands? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to, for me to gauge the longevity of the company and for me to gauge, you know, ultimately like the resale value because she, the owner, is the brand and there's n- nothing about the business that's repeatable to another person without her or without a manufacturing process or a proprietary formula that you can't get elsewhere. So this is where I get a little confused. But I I will say it's really it's incredible of her to propel herself from just being a gossip topic about her lips to now running this empire. And, and I won't take that away from her. But the difference between Kylie being self-made and make in starting this business and you or I doing this business is that, uh, for, exa- for example, I made a few example rugs of turn off your straightener and turn off your curling iron because I thought it was a cute idea to remind yourself on your way out the door for fire safety purposes. And I was, you know, taking cabs home and freaking out at work, thinking I was going to burn my apartment down. I figured out a way to get the letters on a uh, mat. It took me months. I put them on Etsy, hoping to sell one or two. They were basically prototypes just to see if there was interest because I didn't want to spend a ton of time or money making something that nobody wanted. A radio station in Australia finds it on Pinterest, the turn off your straightener mat, posts it, and it gets hundreds of thousands of likes in a night. And I wake up and they're sold out and I don't even ship to Australia. And it was a huge missed opportunity. And I have hundreds of messages asking about where to get them. And I don't even have a product. Like, I don't even have a thing I make. So I'm scrambling, trying to figure out how to get these things made. And the only reason I hand paint them is because I was turned down from every manufacturing facility because I couldn't meet the minimums. I didn't have the money to put up. The way economies of scale work, the more product you buy up front, the cheaper each individual unit is because of the discount. And the lowest minimum I found 
to print on these mats was 2000. And that was a singular skew. So that had to be just turn off your straightener, for example. I didn't know who had straighteners and curling irons. I didn't know what other skews I want to make. I didn't want to lock myself into a lot of inventory because that's when you get or find yourself having to offload it and selling to residual inventory places for like next to nothing just because you don't want to house so much inventory. I so I wanted to be careful about that. I got turned down from literally everywhere and everything because I wasn't a thing yet. I wasn't big enough and I wasn't important enough for them to spend their, you know, resources on figuring out how to make my product in an efficient manner that I could afford. So that's that's the big difference here is I don't discount what she's done with her fame and with her existing fortune, but not having that existing, you know, name where people will listen to you and will, you know, do you a favor and will work around some of their parameters to learn how to incorporate your business. Like if I was somebody, these places would have talked to me or and or if I had the cash to put up to take the risk on the minimums, these companies would have helped me. It worked out because I, it became like this whole handmade thing and movement for me where I all of a sudden like really appreciated and got into things made by hand and things that take a long time and get, you know, engaging with a customer that appreciates a more artisan grounded project product as opposed to a mass produced one. But that I think it's hard for me as a person who spent years and lots of time and lots of money begging people to work with me that never did and still won't. And I've had to piece, literally piece together with nothing, uh, every step of the process from, and I 100% own my company. I'm 100% bootstrapped. I have no investors, no nothing, and I have no debt. But that's also because I didn't sleep or leave my house for two years. Well, I figured this out and I had to leave my corporate job in order to keep it going because it is a dream of mine. But it also, as I've been honest about, I struggle with having this whole different skill set and background that year by year, as I'm not in the corporate world, I'm becoming more and more irrelevant. And I have these incredible fears that I'll never be able to make the same amount of money as an entrepreneur. And that I kind of chased a dream that is ultimately going to be a lot more work for a lot less money. And that in the end impacts my family. So, and I, and I say this not in a way to complain, but just to, to be transparent about the conversations I have in my own head, because this is, these are the things real entrepreneurs deal with. Do I love what I do? Am I proud of what I do? Am I, you know, glad that I learned the art of hard work and grit and perseverance and resilience? And starting a business is an education an MBA would have never given me. It's an education no one can ever have unless you do it. And it's an incredible experience that I have no doubt has ancillary value to the rest of my life. But it is hard for small business owners to tease out how much personal fulfillment and day-to-day satisfaction in your work, how much that matters relative to income. Because income gives you a lot of freedom. Doing what you love gives you a lot of freedom. Which freedom is more important and what's better for your family overall? And those are tough conversations real entrepreneurs have that Kylie Jenner will never have. And so when people are upset about self-made, sure, like me, they might be a little jealous. They might be equal parts impressed. Um, But just remember, too, that there's a lot of people who work their ass off and will never see a percentage of that sort of success. And thinking about how many mistakes I could have avoided and where I could be now, even if I could have just put down like 50 grand (laughs) starting my business, the scale would be totally different 
the process would have been so much more efficient. I could have hired people to do my job instead of have have had to do it myself. And uh, it's, you know, so that's that's what's hard about it. But you know what? Good for Kylie. Maintain the perspective of we only have our own experiences. And if that's what Kylie Jenner was born into, I think she's done a pretty damn good job of making herself into something and being taken seriously as a businesswoman. And good for her. I think the only part is just like, oh, my God, she's only 20. She can't even legally have a drink yet. She has a kid and $900 million. I mean, it's, it's so wild because I think of myself at 20 and I truly was just in one constant state of hungover. The hardest I ever worked was like to sign up for classes in college. I would sit there like a beautiful mind and map out my schedule so as to go to class as little as possible, never have a class before noon and to pack them all in one day. So I essentially had like four or five days a week off. I mean, that like that was my idea of success at 20 was just doing as little as possible, having the most fun as possible. Honestly, my biggest problem will will my my fake ID get me into Sharky's tonight because I was young for my grade. I turned 21 when I was a senior. I went to college when I was 17. And uh, if my mom and dad are listening, I'm totally, you know, totally kidding. Never had a fake. They're not listening. That was a stressful time to be alive. To wait in line and not know and to to have memorized the the address and and the license number and the birth date and when the bouncer would ask you any of those things you almost respond with this like suffocating speed that just screams guilt the 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 most treacherous was you know them asking for a second form of id which i of course did not have but you know being the uh, the the forward thinker that i am i would write a check to the name of the person on my ID for some unknown amount. And then I'd have like a tiny clutch. And when they'd ask me for a second form of ID, I'd fiddle through my purse, pull out the check and be like, oh crap, like all I have is this check my friend wrote me, but it has my name on it. Like, does this help? And usually they'd be like, oh yeah, fine. Like what kind of, what kind of crazy psychopath would, you know, write a fake check they'd never cashed to a fake person that doesn't exist? (laughs) Indeed, that was me. That psychopath is me. Uh, and it wasn't really because I wanted to drink in the bars. If you're going to drink underage, you're probably going to do it at home. And I didn't have money for, like, cocktails. I just didn't want to be left out. I, I just wanted to go watch uh, karaoke at Tots Tuesday in Blacksburg, Virginia. And uh, speaking of, that is why I chose this song, Enrique Iglesias' Escape. Because on my 21st birthday, when much to the bouncer's surprise... I had just turned 21. This was my chosen karaoke song. And I'm, I'm not really sure why, but I do think it's catchy. And I did watch the making the video with Anna Kornikova. And we all remember it was very sexy. He, they think they were like in a bowling alley and he like, they made out in the bathroom. Am I remembering that wrong? It, it was scandalous at the time. I think they're still married, which is wild. Remember what I'm like, I kind of feel bad for Anna Kornikova now because even reading about her legacy, it's like, Mega hottie Anna Kornikova was okay at tennis. And it's like, okay, we only focused on her looks, but she made it much farther than I did at the Colony Swim Club tennis team, so let's revere her for her talents and not just her gorgeous locks. She had the most beautiful, thick, blonde hair. Um, I wanted to play Hero by Enrique Iglesias, but I I don't know. It, I, well, first of all, it, it, it's the only song I know on the guitar. So part of me was like, oh, I really want to, like, wouldn't it be great to play my own rendition? of Hero, um, and just to show everyone my musical talent. And those few oh, first first few chords, I mean, are memorable. Uh, understatement of the century. 
Now, having said that, you're probably like, oh, yeah, that's literally plucking four guitar strings. And yes, it is. But it was a real crowd pleaser in its heyday. The only problem was, you know, the general discomfort I felt of like whisper singing to people at the beginning. And if I had started this podcast out by being like, let me be your hero. You might have thought it was like a creepy ASMR podcast and not listen to the rest. And I couldn't run that risk. So escape it was. And I'm kind of into the message because, you know, as a love song, you can run, you can hide, but you can't escape my love. Like, whoa, yikes, I will find you. It's kind of my brand of love. I, I find that deeply romantic. And that's why I wanted to get married. You know, some people are in it for the love, the commitment, the family, all that. And I'm in it for that, too. But I was like, man, this is great. He can't leave. You can run, you can hide, but you can't escape my love. You physically are you contractually bound to me. And no matter how you know thin of a dusting there is of pirate's booty cheese powder on all of our furniture, you're going to think twice about leaving now. And, and, and that I find deeply romantic. Love lifts us up where we belong. We can be heroes forever and ever. I, I, I just, I like the idea of my partner being a little bit stuck. Because if anybody's the bad roommate, it's me. I, uh, I'm a very bad sleeper. I go to bed really late. I eat very, I have very weird eating patterns. I'm not one of those people that like eats at tables. I, it's a good idea. It's a great invention. Love the concept of a family dinner. We sit down, we eat. When you leave the table, you're done. But really anywhere th- th- that I can be, you know, sitting, standing, perching is, is fair game. For, for me to be eating. And yes, inevitably there is a small crumb trail, but I, I really am getting better about it. And I did buy a miniature dust pan at the Home Goods yesterday. And it truly is like, looks like a joke. Like, is this a dust pan for ants? But kind of, because it's going to prevent ants. And um, I'm really not to, like other people eat in bed, right? That's not insane. My family makes fun of me. <laughs> I shouldn't tell this story. Literally, this comes up three or four times a year. Uh, one time, one time, I, you know, <laughs> spilled an entire quart of wonton soup on my bed, on my mattress. And like, it was an accident. And I, I did what I, I did what I thought was right. I sopped up what I could of the broth. I pushed until I could push no more. And I salvaged the wontons and ate them and lamented the loss of my broth. But when if you spill an entire quart of liquid on a mattress, there's really not a lot you can do. There just isn't. And my family seems to think it's so foul that I kept that mattress when, you know, do you really think I have the kind of money to buy a new mattress if I'm eating a quart of wonton soup? Usually that's a side, not your full meal. I, I, I just don't know what they want me to do. Money doesn't grow on trees. Mattresses just don't magically show up in boxes at your doorstep. Oh, wait, they do, because everybody has a mattress sponsorship on their podcast but me, and thanks for rubbing it in. Forget mattresses. You know what I need? I need a Warby Parker for pillows. Every time I buy a pillow, I hate it, and then I can't return it because that's gross. Send me five pillows. I'll pick the one I like, return the rest, create a proprietary antimicrobial uh, pillowcase that enables you to reuse the pillows in a safe manner and let the world just sleep soundly knowing that they got to try five different types of pillows and pick the best one that's for them and they're not just being held hostage to the one that they got from Bed Bath & Beyond for $60. It's so much money for a freaking pillow, but it's like important because you use it every night, but it's not an exciting purchase, you know? 
And I don't care what anyone says that my pillow infomercial thing is it's it's no bueno. I have tried that. It is hard as a rock. I just want to be able to put like six pillows on my bed that are the perfect contrast and height and fullness uh, that I can sleep on with, you know, the comfort of a cumulonimbus cloud. I it's like in hotels, you have the best night's sleep of your life. Is it because you're not in your house or is it because the bed is perfectly like tailored for the, the best night's sleep? I, I struggle with this. Like I hate I only like sandwiches that somebody else makes. I only like coffee somebody else brews. If I mix myself a cocktail, I'm like, this is garbage. But Greg shakes it and pours it in the glass, and it's the best thing I've ever had. I I, I don't really get how that works, but something about someone else doing something just makes it feel or taste better. And I cannot figure out why hotel pillows are so great. And when I buy pillows, it just feels like a a hodgepodge of nonsense that's in my way, and I can never get the perfect neck height. Speaking of uh, uh, sleep... And what I mentioned earlier with whispering, do you guys know what ASMR is? I kind of like breezed past that, but I'm not sure if that uh, required explanation real quick, because I think it's really interesting. Okay, so it it stands for autonomous sensory meridian response. And it's kind of like uh, the feeling of when you would get goosebumps. The way it's uh, properly defined as a static like or tingling sensation on the skin it begins on your scalp and moves down the back of your neck and your spine. And it's this low-grade euphoria at, that is a result of audible or visual stimuli. So you hear something and it gives you the chills, basically. Or you get goosebumps and it kind of like is this really like soothing feeling you can get as, the result, as a result of listening to or seeing something. In this case, it's listening to something because people have these YouTube ASMR channels where they whisper like this. And if you talk into different sides of your mic, oh, I don't have the set. I don't have a setting on. You'll hear it in different ears. And it, it's really relaxing for a lot of people. A lot of people work to AM, ASMR tapes. A lot of people fall asleep to them. Um, if you're not familiar, if you objectively listen to these, they sound creeptastic, like weird, weird stuff. It almost seems like fetishy. But it actually isn't. And I know a lot of people that listen to them. Um, and uh, I'm all about YouTube videos to fall asleep. Like, I listen to hypnoses. I listen to affirmations. The other day, Greg walked in the room and I was listening to a tape and I was like, I am beautiful. I am nice. I am perfect. I am going to do okay in life. I am not hungry. It was like the dumbest I don't know. I've heard Tony Robbins say he listens to affirmations at night. And I'm like, well, what if it, what if you can laugh all you want? But if I wake up, you know, perfect, focused and not hungry, the joke's on you. But I, I'm not as big of a fan of those. I really like um, Native American woodwinds. Th- those are some of my favorite videos to listen to at night. I love um, ones about um, abundance, like manifesting abundance, because if you listen carefully, noises of one of those handheld money things that like you press a button and tons of cash flows out. And I think that it's also actual noises of the federal reserve printing money. I don't know. I mean, it's so absurd. Um, but anyway, sometimes I'll put on ASMR to see if it will soothe me to sleep. But the, the joke of ASMR is that the most popular genre is to whisper, uh, mundane tasks in like role play into the mic so <laughs> either you can fall, you can go on YouTube and look up ASMR and you will see that a someone checking you into a hotel 
has, you know, 800,000 views. A small optometry exam has like 1.2 million. People, millions and millions of people are getting on YouTube every night to have some random chick whisper in their ear, role-playing that they're at a routine medical exam, their annual physical. It's like, you, I, 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 it is a chore for me to go to the dentist once a year, even though I'm supposed to go twice. I, and you want to like relax and meditate in your sleep to the tune of, of a dental exam? It's, it's interesting. And I will say, I just, I haven't looked it up in a while. And a few years ago, ASMR was very much like about these mundane tasks and friendly people you might interact with day to day, but it has gotten notably creepier. Just, just a heads if you uh, should hop on YouTube. But I also noticed Elle or some magazine does that's like their shtick, kind of like how Wired does complete this Google search with celebrities. There's an uh, online, there's a magazine that I guess is having celebs do ASMR, and I just saw Gal Gadot did one, and color me intrigued. I gotta say, I I don't think I have auditory, that sort of auditory sensation, because it doesn't really work for me, it doesn't really relax me, if anything, I do it as a spectator sport. Um, You know, I invested in this microphone, so this podcast thing doesn't work out. I'll probably, you know, I could always secretly start a channel and collect a small fortune because Lord knows I can talk for a while. I could be one of those people that does the eight hour long YouTube videos that talks you through your entire night's sleep. It's not a bad idea because when you whisper, you don't sound bad unless you sing the whisper song. I actually really like that. That song is the craziest bass I've ever heard. That that is a that's a good one. It's like it's the Ying Yang twins. It was. um. Yes, Ying Yang Twins, I do mind if you touch it to see if it's soft. <laughs> I mean, like, what? I, I'm interested to see how um, the era we're in that fortunately is more uh, respectful toward boundaries and less derogatory toward women's bodies affects lyrics in, in popular music. But anyway, huge fan of the Ying Yang Twins. That, that did give me a little bit of ASMR. Uh, maybe I do have it in an audible sense. Uh, I, I definitely have it in an olfactory sense with my nose. I, I will walk somewhere and I will smell a memory and I am just like transported back when I first met my, <laughs> he's going to kill me. When I first met my husband, he wore this cologne that I think that I want to say his sister bought it for him, like kind of as like a last minute, you know, Marshall's type Christmas present and probably thought it was funny. Like I bought him Rob Lowe's skincare line because I think it's really funny that Rob Lowe has a skincare line, but also Rob Lowe is pushing 60 and looks 20. So, you know, there's some humor in celebrity-related product lines. Uh, however, this cologne is called McGraw by one Tim McGraw of Tim McGraw and Faith Hill, son of Tug McGraw, weird displaced actor in The Blind Side with Sandra Bullock. I, McGraw is the greatest smelling cologne of all time. And I still am really pushing for him to wear it. I, I, I think he might have re-upped, changed the formula, and I've been looking for some older bottles on eBay, just even like spray on my pillows. I, it reminds me of a time in life where, I don't know, it just really takes me back to like a sweet time in uh, life and our relationship, and I just, I really like the smell. I think any, people feel that way about their partner's cologne or whatever, regardless. But uh, just a hot tip, if anyone's looking for a gift, for for your son, for your significant other, ladies love McGraw. Buyer beware.
it might attract other other ladies in the wild because it is that good. Okay, keep going. This is this isn't sponsored by McGraw. I do like Tim McGraw's old music though. Uh, with the exception of um, Indian Outlaw, which I'm pretty sure is no longer politically correct. I feel like I talk about country music a lot on this podcast, which is funny because I keep holding strong that I'm not a huge fan. Yet I have a lot to say about it. I I also was at a country western bar with my because my sister just moved here and she lived in Kentucky, so you know wanted her to feel at home. Needed to take her to a country western joint, and um, there was live music, and the band kept playing original songs, which. Like, it's not the Grammys, it's not the Grand Ole Opry, this is not your big, your one shot. Like, play some Kenny Chesney or put a sock in it. And I, I was so excited, because I thought I wasn't going to know a lot of this stuff. Like, I thought they'd get up there and play, I don't know, Kelsey Ballerini or whatever is popular right now. But they truly played every song I've ever mentioned in this podcast. Because they're good songs. They played Strawberry Wine, they played Sold at the Grundy County Auction. I, I mean, they played, uh... uh Colin Baton Rouge, which I I think I've gone on record saying that that is such a better alternative to Friends in Low Places, which is so overdone. I honestly, if they if they had played Toby Keith's "I Love This Bar," I would have been done right then and there. I actually do need to see more female representation in country cover bands, though. I feel like it's a lot of men, and the the '90s were very dominated by male artists, hence why a lot of my favorite songs are sung by males. But I mean, I love, I love some, you know, Trisha Yearwood, Dina Carter, Martina McBride, some Joe D. Messina, the Dixie Chicks. I mean, Goodbye Earl is the original by Felicia. As you all know, I think any man of mine is the better alternative to man. I feel like a woman. But I feel like uh, cover bands aren't going to play these songs. Like, if a man got up on stage and tried to sing Goodbye Earl to me, I, I would be like, say hi to my drink in your face. This is, this is a female's anthem. Get out of here. And <laughs> what's... That's what's hard about country music, though, is like the storytelling. Sometimes it's so, so irrevocably depressing what the content is that like so deep and dark and and too literal and spelled out that like I can't even believe sometimes these artists want to sing the songs because they're going to have to go on tour and sing about this every night. Prime example, Concrete Angel. Like, has anybody ever gotten in their car? And put the windows down. It's a nice summer, beautiful day. And, you know, just cranked up Concrete Angel. No. Has anybody ever, you know, had a late night group hang to, to the tune of Whiskey Lullaby? Uh, that song spent do- too many weeks on the radio. That, like, why did people like it, listen to it, encourage it? I, I just, I don't really know that it raised much awareness for the realities of alcoholism, given that Brad Paisley then came out with a song called Alcohol, completely, you know, raising up all of the perks of this drink that was deadly to the protagonist of Whiskey Lullaby. So, you know, in general, Brad Paisley is kind of a problem for me, but, okay, (laughs) Brad Paisley, his songs are like bad AOL instant messenger buddy info quotes. When he was coming out, when he was in like the thick of it, like the big part of his career, I was convinced he was going on AIM and just jacking stuff off profiles and turning them into mainstream music. Case in point, the song The World. To to one person, to the world you may just be one person, but to me, you are the world. Like basically that the I've the, I'm botching the lyrics. 
that is a very common buddy info quote. To the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. And then it's like, oh, geez, Brad Paisley, what are you going to do next? Uh, I live for the nights I'll never remember with the friends I'll never forget. Oh, wait. In the song Alcohol, the chorus says, you've had some of the best times you'll never remember with me, alcohol. Kind of, I mean, I think it's kind of similar. Uh, no? Um, what about the song Little Moments? It's very, you know, live for the... Don't... Let, what is it? <laughs> Life isn't the number of breaths you take, it's the moments that take your breath away. Okay, yeah, he doesn't say that. Uh, I, I think his songs remind me of Buddy and Foucault's. Or like he has that song called Water. And it's it's like the exact same premise of when people say... Uh, the only, the cure for everything is salt, sweat, tears, and the sea. It's like, huh? Some other more important stuff than that. I'm pr- usually pretty miserable when I'm sweating, pretty miserable when I'm crying, and the ocean's cool and all, but have you ever swam in brackish water? A lot less difficult when it goes up your nose. I'm just kidding. I'm oceans are bust. I talked about how when I first got to Chicago and everyone called, like, lakes vacations, I was like, excuse me? This is anticlimactic. It's only fun if you're playing touch and go with the red flags on the beach that basically tell you if you're going to get pulled away or not in a deadly riptide. There's sharks. There's sea life. You can dig for sand crabs. You can build sand castles. There's a lot of there's a lot you can do in the sand that you can't do on a dock or on like a, a faux sand beach. Like Chicago has beaches, but they just aren't beaches. I, I'm not having fun if I don't have a, a if I'm not risking a small concussion due to. A, boogie board knockout i mean is there is there anything like boogie boarding catching a wave on a boogie board is like the uh, summertime equivalent of learning to ride a bike for the first time that boogie boarding is like such a funny sensory memory of like salt in your nose major wipeout bathing suit half off your body you laying like bare bellied in like a tide pool because you were boogie boarding in a foot and a half of water and got knocked down by a very, very small wave. It, it, like, <laughs> I, um, I, I like have a huge craving to boogie board right now. I have a feeling as an adult, it may not. I, I'm curious to know if it would feel as scary as it used to. Like, I used to think I was, you know, hang 10, surfs up, call me Kate Bosworth, Blue Crush. It's a cruel, cruel summer. I am on my body glove turbo, just, you know, riding, uh, you know, eight inch drops, just killing time till my mom says I can take my sandwich out of the cooler. All I ever want is a beach lunch. There's nothing that makes me hungrier than sitting out in the sun, than braving the grittiness of the sand on my skin, which as an adult, I'd appreciate the exfoliating properties. But as a kid, I honestly hated the beach and I hated the sand. And as a person, I just don't really love like bright, bright sun. And I'm very fair. Um, but I have such fond memories of the beach. And I've been thinking about it this week a lot because my nephews and my niece are at their, like, first big family vacation. And I'm jealous I'm not there. Slash, I wish I could just be eating, you know, pounding flavor ices on the couch, watching cartoons while my parents slave away cooking dinner. Because what you don't realize as a kid is that vacations are not vacations for adults. They are a ton of work. There are weeks and weeks of preparation and Costco trips and packing the car and getting you in the car and keeping you entertained in the car only to get out of the car and have you fight over with who gets what room. And then everybody's hungry and everybody's tired and everybody has to go to the beach. Everyone's itchy from the sand. Someone has a bug bite. 
Somebody got stung by a jellyfish. Somebody got really, really bad sunburn and can't go out the rest of the time. So one adult has to stay in with them while they recover. Like the whole thing is it's such a nightmare. And my parents, um, they, they used to like every year we'd go on these week long family vacations. And they're like my best memories in life. And um, like a few years ago, I realized this, that they would go out on a canoe, like on the sound. We'd vacation in the Outer Banks of North Carolina They'd go out in a canoe and they would like take a cooler and they called these things mommy and daddy drinks. And they looked delicious. They're these bright blue slushies that we I, we I think we thought were like Slurpees. And we're like, oh, that's so that's fun. My sister's going to stay in with us while we watch, you know, my date with the president's daughter. And uh, my parents are out eating ices. How romantic. No, it, basically what these blue sl- these blue slushies are called blue lagoons. And it's tequila with a side of blue curacao. It's just like a giant cup of slushy tequila. Because my poor parents, <laughs> who worked hard all year and had three annoying kids all two years apart that were very needy and ungrateful, needed like a minute to themselves to have a slushy, beachy cocktail. And the only way they could get away from us was literally canoeing out to the middle of water with their own cooler filled with beverages. <laughs> It makes me laugh so hard because it's so something I would do. It's something I do now with the dog. Like sequester myself in the bathroom with a glass of red. I'm like, just for the love of God. I need two seconds. Anyway, we're talking about boogie boards. That You know how paddleboarding is like so hot right now among the health people? That'd be really funny if you're like, oh no, like I don't paddleboard, I boogie board. It's my workout. Great core strength. <laughs> uh, a good old fashioned family East Coast no frills vacation is, is what life's all about. And I... Hope to get my my mitts on a boogie board. Rather, my ankles strapped to a boogie board. <laughs> One day soon. What was I talking about? Brad Paisley. Oh, how uh, his songs are so stupid, and they remind me of Buddy Info quotes. I get he's trying to be a comedian, but he's not weird out. Like if you you almost have to decide. You can be you can inject humor into lyrics, but it doesn't have to be so much shtick. Like the song "Ticks" is straight up creepy. It's creepy. I want to search you for ticks. That's creepy. That's not cute. I I. I don't know. I just wouldn't be surprised if he comes out with a song, you know, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. (laughs) Uh, You're only as strong as the tables. Wait, you're only as strong as the cocktails you drink, the friends you keep and the tables you dance on. Do I average saying that quote like one point through every one point three (laughs) episodes? So this is my favorite example of a ridiculous quote that people use act like is inspirational or meaningful but it, it's besides the friends part it just uh, people having that up on their wall about the strength of cocktails you drink and tables you dance on I, I mean you know Maya Angelou basically um I I do feel like toward the end of AIM though everything was about Carrie Bradshaw it was all Sarah Jessica Parker and or Carrie Bradshaw quotes that are in no way applicable to high school kids, yet we all had them. And I don't even think we all wa- had HBO subscriptions or let- were allowed to watch Sex in the City, but we probably just saw them on other girls' away messages. Like, um, what's the one that's like, maybe some women aren't meant to be tamed. Maybe they're just looking for someone just as wild to run with. And it's like, oh, okay. Okay, sophomore Haley. Are you're not meant to be tamed? What's the wildest thing you've ever done? Like worn shorts that, you know, were shorter than fingertip length. I mean, like, what are people talking about? Like, they need someone to run with who's just as wild. I, (laughs) 
and there's the other one that's like, I'm someone who's looking for ridiculous, inconvenient, all-consuming love. And it's like, oh gosh, no. Have your own thing. Be in love, have emotions. It's intense. Falling in love's great, but like, not a great message. So yeah, anyway, I won't be surprised if um, Brad Paisley has a song come out called I Like My Money Right Where I Can See It. Hanging in my closet. Ha ah, shoes. I love shoes. Spend all your money on shoes. Go into debt for shoes. Bleh. I get so annoyed. I like, I like Sex and the City, but I feel like... In, I like the entire arc as it ended up, as, as you know. Not the movies, even though I loved the first movie, not the second. The best quote to come from Sex and the City was the, the finale. And by the time the finale rolled around, we weren't, we weren't writing those quotes in our buddy info. The one where she's like, the most exciting, challenging, and significant relationship is the one you have with yourself. Yes, yes, Carrie, it's not all about sex in the city. It's about finding yourself in the city. And I gotta say that finale in American Girl in Paris Part 2 is killer. Killer, killer, killer. Great show finale. And I love, speaking of great TV moments with music, I love uh, La Belle et Le Bad Boy. It's a a kind of slow rap song in French when she's like power walking around the city after Alexander Petrovsky lays a hand on her. What a, what a jerk. But doesn't it like all come rushing back to you when you hear this? Ils étaient rencontrés sur les bancs de l'école Entre une heure de colle, de maths ou un cours d'espagnol C'était une fille fun, fanat de football Lui ne craignait pas les balles, c'était le call Ce qu'il lui promettait, c'était des balades en corvette Pour l'instant en survêt I was just, <laughs> I was just good going to try to sing some to you in, en français But I'm not going to do that I am not Naomi from Southern Charm Who actually is French, but You know, while anybody speaking French is sexy as hell there's always a small part of me that's like, nah, show off. And because I'm jealous. I'm jealous. My high school French it got me nowhere. I, I can tell you, uh, you know, that I like to ski. I can order a croissant. Je voudrais acheter des baskets orange. Means I would like to buy orange tennis shoes. I uh, can speak a light conversational Italian that at one point I could speak like pretty legit Italian, but I've completely lost it because I think that the the whole point of language is you need to be immersed. I, I When I lived in an Italian speaking small town, I picked up on it because ca- I was listening to cashiers and people in cafes and, you know, the teachers were t- like it wasn't a textbook environment. And I always thought I was like bad with languages, but really it's just very hard to learn um, colloquial conversational speech in a textbook format. And I think that's the problem with uh, Americans is that even when we travel, we can, a lot of people can speak English. So we default to that instead of try to learn and speak the new language at risk of feeling stupid. But I would rather feel stupid and try to speak the language of the place I'm in than just assume everyone speaks English. Because uh, by, that, by that family of thought, they should assume the same for you. Well, you're in, you're in our country. Speak our language. And I don't know. I just think it's more respectful to try than to worry about looking stupid. And yeah, half the time you'll get made fun of, especially in France. I know the stereotype is like French people are rude to American tourists. And I don't like stereotypes, but I have to say that has been my personal experience. So it is not a stereotype. I've had some good experiences there, but in general, I just feel like um, Italians and Greeks were the most friendly I felt of the uh, Western European tourist destinations. 
Unless I went into a French sneaker store to buy orange sneakers in the, and to ask to buy them in the present tense, in which case I would crush it. Other than that, don't have an ear for languages. Okay, let's backtrack here. Languages, La Belle, La Bad Boy, Sex in the City, Buddy Info Quotes, Brad Paisley. I think I need to uh, end this train. I He also has that uh, song, My or My Everything or She's Everything. So does Michael Buble. You know, you know I love a song, uh, dueling songs with the same title, a riff off. If I were going to pick who's everything I'd want to be, would you rather be a yellow pair of running shoes, a holy pair of jeans, looking great in cheap sunglasses, looking great in everything? Would you rather be a want a piece of chocolate, take, a th- take me to a movie, I can't find a thing to wear, and now and then she's moody? Like, that does not paint much of a picture. However, would I like to be a fallen star, a getaway car, a line in the sand when I go too far, a swimming pool on an August day? The perfect thing to say. And you play it coy, but it's kind of cute. When you smile at me, you know exactly what you do, but baby, don't pretend that you don't know it's true. Because you see it when I look at you. That's Michael Buble's everything. I, I, I skew Buble. I definitely skew more Buble than Paisley if we're doing this riff off here, which I just decided on. I, again, I don't, I don't want to be a yellow pair of running shoes. Clearly, I said earlier I am orange. Or a holy pair of jeans, although that is chic, but I don't think he means it in that sense because men don't really understand uh, buying things that are pre-distressed, which I really understand because if you distress your own shiz, the, 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 the holes don't look like that. If you distress your own stuff, you don't have the, um, the stretchy bands of thread, which, you know, sometimes give you that weird sausage effect if the jeans are too tight, like you're putting, you know, your face through a tennis racket. Um... Uh, but it's important to get them pre-distress. I, I, I'm always explaining that to Greg. He also doesn't understand why you'd wear a belt when you don't have belt loops. <laughs> it's not functional. A cinched waist belt is it's, it's simply for the figure. It is not to hold up anything. Uh, function. Like, if you're, ma- if you're really asking me if everything I'm wearing is functional, we've got bigger, bigger fish to fry. I, do you really think that the, uh, these tassel earrings... Are functional? Do you think I'm matriculating? Like, this isn't a graduation ceremony. I don't have on a mortar board. They, they just look cute. This, do you think this watch is meant for telling time? No, that's what my phone's for. I, the time has not been correct on this. Michael Kors oversized watch since 2011. Anyway, moving on. I guess that concludes my analysis of... Uh, did, does Brad Paisley get his song inspiration from Buddy Info Quotes or not? And I would say that uh, argument was pretty weak. But my, my stance holds true. I really think it's just that world song. If to the world you might be one person, to the one person you might be the world. I feel the same way about Duo Lupa's new rules. I feel like that's a Buddy Info quote. A more mature one is, you know... Something to the effect of the only way to get over someone is to get under someone else. And that song's like, if you if if you're under him, you ain't getting over him. So you know they they switches it around a little bit. Anyway, you I get the point. Okay, I just took a break. Um, I try to record these in one pass because it's uh I've never taken an improv class, but the way I try to work my stream of consciousness is how I'm told you're taught to think or react in improv which is to say yes and and if like something comes out of my mouth and i'm like this is stupid this is stupid roll it back reel it in 
I am just trying to choose to be like, yes, and, and and keep it going and see where it ends up. And it's fun. I access parts of my brain I didn't even know I had. So uh, hope you enjoy that unforeseen 20-minute tangent woven with the thread of none other than Brad Paisley. Um, I am drinking a green juice because... I had a headache recently, and I, of course, Google everything, and I'm like, how to get rid of a headache? And this green juice pops up, and I hate, I I don't hate making smoothies, but, like, I think the juicing craze is a little nuts because you're, you're, t- you're removing the fibers the the from the fruits and vegetables that are so healthy to be eating, and then I just feel like it's a lot of sugar, and trust me, I'm not the beacon of health, but I, I prefer a smoothie to a juice, but then I can't. To make them is kind of a lot of work, and you have to have a lot of fresh produce on hand. And then to buy them is hard for me because I have a lot of fruit and vegetable allergies, which I know sounds made up again. But if you're a person whose mouth gets scratchy or your throat swells a little after you have something with a pit or a core, an apple, a plum, a cherry, a peach, uh, look into something called OAS. It is called oral allergy syndrome. A lot of people don't really know what they have or don't can't put a name to it. And oftentimes it is not that you are allergic to the fruit or vegetable. You are allergic to the environment in which it grows, and therefore the produce absorbs the enzymes of the allergen, such as a ragweed or a mold or a pollen, and unless it is cooked or processed out, you are then allergic to that item. I have really bad outdoor allergies in my whole life. I was like, why am I allergic to pits and cores until I got more educated on this concept, and I'm 99% sure that's what it is. I can eat fruit and vegetables in Europe, which is kind of weird, but they don't have the same allergens we do. My sister is like deathly allergic. She has, she's even worse than me when it comes to a lot of fruits. In Mexico, she can, you know, have a, have a, have a fruit medley. It, I, that's like the joke is we go on vacation so we can eat produce. I, I, even though I am the most unhealthy eater on the face of the earth, a lot of my issues with healthy eating comes from my anxiety of like being out and having an, like being uncomfortable because I won't die. I don't need an EpiPen, but if if your throat hurts really bad and is, is like semi-swelling, it's not really like fun to be out anymore, you know? And that happens to me all the time because I, I'm not going to put on wedding invitations or like tell a server, you know, my 18 pits and cores I shouldn't really have but won't kill me. I'm not going to inconvenience them and make them clean out their kitchen for a non-serious allergy. I'd rather save those for the real, the people that have real serious allergies and, and, and need that the stuff wiped down. But, um... Then I'll, I'll inadvertently eat something that I, you know, didn't know was in there and my, my brunch is ruined. It's, it's tough to be me, really, guys. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but I say that about the, uh, oh, the fruit allergens because this headache smoothie was absolutely delightful. And all it was was frozen pineapple, a fistful of spinach, some honey, chia seeds, which my husband has lying around and frankly are there's there's evil and then there are chia seeds. These things congeal when they get wet and then I find them in every pot, pan, crevice of my kitchen, of of my sink, on tugboat like they get absolutely everywhere and they become so viscous and immobile when they're wet. Like I hate these things. But I'm told they're healthy, so I threw them in my smoothie. And um what was oh almond milk uh, a thumb of ginger, just like shaved, and a little lemon. Very easy, very accessible. It didn't require an excess amount of fresh produce because I could use frozen pineapple. I usually have some sort of like salad situation on hand, and uh, ginger lasts a while. Um, and I, I always have lemons and limes around because how else am I going to rim my margaritas? 
So it was a very accessible drink for me. And um, I made one yesterday. I made one today. And suddenly I like, I literally think I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. I, 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 I go through these delusional phases where I actually think I'm transformed and I have two green smoothies and I'm like, health is a lifestyle. I, I am a human embodiment of, of purity and health and wellness toxins. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Uh, I, I didn't choose healthy living, healthy living chose me. And I just think that I am perfect and I feel badly for everybody on the train that, you know, is drinking a soda. And I just am like, oh, do they even know what that sodium and carbonation does to you? I, I, I like look at white bread as if it's like a, a double down sandwich, a, a deep fried carnival funnel cake. Do, do you remember uh, double downs? It was KFC. Actually, this is very ketogenic now that I'm thinking about it, maybe. Well, except for the breading. Um, they came out with a breakfast sandwich that instead of bread, the thing that held your sandwich together that I think was like egg and cheese, maybe, was two pieces of fried chicken as bread. <laughs> America. Remember when Ariana Grande liked the donuts and said she hated America and Americans were fat? I don't know. I feel like she was just drunk and being stupid. And not that that's not offensive, but I just, I don't know. Those are the things I, I don't really understand that what gets people up in arms. I think like everybody is a person who is young at one point, who drinks too much at one point, who says something dumb at one point. They don't mean it, but maybe they think that's what other people want to hear. They're saying it for a laugh. They think that that's how people talk and then they have their own life experience and come into the world and realize the type of person they want to be and they change for the better. You know, I, I, we're, we're kind of in this funny time where... You're guilty of things you may or may not have done 20 years ago out of context. And while I want people held accountable to any criminal actions, sometimes I think crimes of character are tough because people do evolve. And, you know, just like we love Drew Barrymore, and she, but she was like 11 and doing cocaine on the set of E.T., we're not holding that against her. She needed to learn. And sometimes I think people, you know, are weird in high school and weird in college and to grow out of it. I mean, I, I, it, 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 like, I cringe at times thinking that, like, if somebody was listening to this who only knew me in high school or only knew me in college and, like, I was in, like, a weird time in my life or feeling depressive or only caring about the wrong things or, like, pursuing being popular or being a good person. Like, we all go through phases where we think things are important or we become a, a, a we become more a product of the people we're around and the place we are than the the person we are deep down and i think you know we're all we're all titled to a bit of that evolution in a sense like i was thinking about the other day um do you remember when uh, maybe i'm shallow but do you remember being younger and like the only thing that mattered was being hot like somebody calling you hot was like the ultimate compliment and that you like strove for and now if somebody said that to me i'd be utterly insulted <laughs> I mean, you know, I'd be like a smidge flattered, but I just would be like, oh, that's the one thing you want to point out. Uh, and I think, you know, that's something somebody would say who doesn't really get called hot very often. It's like, uh, I would be so insulted. <laughs> but, um, but honestly, like, it's just funny to me that I lived a part of my life like dieting and exercising and doing stuff, not for me, but because I wanted to improve like boys opinion of me. And it's just so not something that as a 30 year old I care about. And sure, I'm married. But even if I wasn't, I just I, I have so much more peace with like who I am than I ever used to. And I know everybody says it comes with age, but it really does. And you couldn't pay me to care as much as I once did about just being hot. Like, what does that do for my life? 
I wish I could go back and just tell myself how much more important it is, how much farther it gets you in life to, to work on other aspects of your personality. It's so much more impressive and important. And it's such a, it's such a better time investment to care about being smart and well-read and funny and to be of service to the people you love, to be articulate, to work on your communication skills, to uh, foster your friendships over your fleeting relationships and to believe that if all of those things are your priority, you will be such a grounded and such an interesting person that anybody should be so lucky to date. I, I think the emphasis I felt on looks in my youth really held me back and really made me a lot more depressed than I should have been because of being like so surprised when I gained a lot of weight in college or being like all oh, my friends were so beautiful and boys always wanted to date them and never me. And like these things just like tortured me. And you you get to a place where you're so delusional that you forget your looks have absolutely nothing to do with who you are and what value you bring to somebody else or to a relationship. And you have to it takes so long to dig yourself out of that hole. And I actually I was thinking about this because I just watched I Feel Pretty, Amy Schumer's movie that I have been meaning to see forever. And I was really excited about it because I, I like the concept. When I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, cool, like a shallow hell for, you know, being pretty. That's interesting. And it, I didn't take it as seriously as the people who were so outraged that she wasn't ugly enough to have the right to be so self-conscious that she would need a head injury to feel good about herself. I don't think that was the message. The whole point that was lost among people that just like to get mad about everything is that self-esteem issues don't discriminate. And we have such a hard time as humans looking at the people that, that have the things we don't have and feeling any empathy for them because we can't imagine being anything short of elated if we weren't experiencing our own shortcomings. So it's, it, it's less about that she wasn't ugly enough to be self-conscious because that's not fair. You, you, it's, it's not a, a product of what you actually are and what you look like it's a product of how your different experiences throughout life have shaped your perception of who you are and how much weight you've put in them. And an offhanded comment from a guy, mixed messaging from your family growing up, having one or two bad experiences, that can reframe the entire way you see yourself. And that is the problem. The, the, it's, it's, the, you're not going to rectify the situation by physically looking better. You only rectify the situation from working from the inside out and from kind of almost exposure therapy, I would think, to those things people said to you and facing them dead on and truly convincing yourself that that is not reality, that is not your truth, that is one isolated opinion you're projecting onto yourself. And I think that, especially for Amy Schumer, who's someone in the public eye who's been called fat incessantly, it's called Miss Piggy, it's like... She has every right to be a part of that movie and to send out a message about the person, the only thing between you and the person you want to be and how everyone else sees you is you. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's not anything physical. It's, it's all about confidence. And there really is something so powerful about confidence. And I, I think we've all known those people throughout life where we're just like, damn, they get and do whatever they want. And it's just like because they believe it and they see themselves that way and they make it happen. And I think there's just something so to that type of energy. But anyway, I, I could get on a really long tangent about that. But my point is, 
I liked the concept of the movie. I thought the ex- execution was poor. I think that it had a, there was an opportunity to really elevate an important conversation and to do it in a comedic way that was also smart. But it, it, this movie was comedic in, in a slapstick way. It was silly. It was goofy. It was like, I don't know. It, it was a brand of rom-com that I just don't like. That is just so poor quality and so poorly written that I can't even understand why they would waste the opportunity and why they would waste the funding. Like, are, are we as a society getting pickier about our content because there's such high quality TV documentaries and different things streaming online now that we have access to? Or are, are movies getting stupider? To quote the family Chantal's mom in 90 Day Fiance, things are about to get more stupider. Because I, every movie I see gets worse and worse and it, the, the concept isn't bad. They just are written like we're a bunch of blubbering idiots. I, we were ready to have a more elevated movie about that. That it could it could have been funny too. I I I, I like when things are equal parts uh, lighthearted and thought provoking, which is something I think Nancy Myers does well. I think she has a new movie in the works, and I am waiting with bated breath. She Nancy Myers is uh, is the antidote to my poor cinematic experiences for the past decade. But anyway, guys, I should get to step in. You know, we started with Escape. And I mentioned I wanted to start with Hero. I love a hero-related song. I love Bonnie Tyler's holding out for a hero. But actually, ever since I went on my honeymoon, we were in Greece, and there's this hero Euro stand called Lucky's in Santorini. That was what dreams are made of. Freaking love a hero. I, I, I love a street stand. I love a kiosk. If it has four walls, I'm not interested. I need the meat to be spinning on a spindle, and I needed it to be a, a combination of vague meats like lamb, beef, and pork. Uh, I need a crap ton of tzatziki, and I need the fluffiest cumulonimbus pita, much like my cumulonimbus bedding, because using the fluffiest, largest cloud type is the best way to describe something that is indeed pillowy. I, um, I, I love a gyro, and uh, every when I was on my honeymoon, and I wanted to eat there for every meal, like, you know, any bright, diversified, uh, cultured tourist... I kept saying, I need a hero, a la Bonnie Tyler. And now I will never be able to think of anything else for that song because I'm a person that makes up songs to myself and sings them all the time to Tugboat, to myself, to anybody who will listen. And uh, so I can't do Bonnie Tyler, but I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do Mariah Carey because this song is, it's, it's important and it's good and it's before it's time because she comes to the conclusion that, that, that the hero lies in her. And it does. And that's what I was talking about with self-esteem. It's like, we have so much unharnessed power we need to take advantage of. And when we're in our lowest points, we need to sweep ourselves off of our feet. And when you lose, when you wait for your time, your circumstances, your environment, your partner, your friends, your family to to pick you up off the ground, because you've got to do it yourself. You you put on your mask before the person next to you. It it all, self-care is absolutely everything and self-accountability is absolutely everything. Just ask Teddy Mellencamp. She gets paid a lot of money to just tell people, just ask, like, an accountability coach is basically like a professional texter that makes you feel awful about yourself. And that is a job I do not want. Nor would I pay someone to do. You want a professional nag? Are you insane? Anyways, the point is, I'm saying, we we all can realize that for ourselves. And I, I say this as a person who, in talking about being in the, at odd crossroads in my career, I need to do this too, because it's, it's very easy for me to feel sorry for myself, to see a competitor doing better, to see 
a 20-year-old, you know, making a billion dollars off of lip kits. Uh, it's This week, um, another doormat maker was on the Today Show, and I got flooded with messages of people being like, oh, my God, like, this girl's on the Today Show, you know, you were the first person to put words on mats. Are you so pissed? Or like, you need to make this style or whatever. And like, in response to it, I just put up on my Instagram story. Like, if you want this type of mat, go to this person's page. And I linked her and she's awesome. And she's been in the game for a while and support her. And I'm not going to rip off her styles. And I also am not mad that she got press. Like a few years ago, I would have been mad, but only from a place of why, why I didn't I you know, why not me? Why didn't I capitalize on that? Why didn't I have that idea? And I would just be jealous. But I honestly believe there's a place in the sky for everybody. And I honestly believe that even in the most cluttered of categories, you can find your niche, you can find your unique value, and you can make yourself sellable, even though a lot of people are essentially doing the same thing you are. Is it frustrating when I see people passing me in the lane that I feel like I sometimes created? Yes, but also it means you did you did something right. And it means your next idea is only going to be that much better, hopefully. And uh, the position I'm in now, even though having scaled back a little on doormats and working on other things, I'm more excited for myself because I was able to, you know, see Hoda with the other girls doormat and be like, you know what? I hope one day Hoda's holding my things that I'm working on, that I'm proud of, that I pivoted off of doormats from because I believe that I have more to bring to the world. And that's where I'm trying to come from. And that's where I would encourage anyone to come from who's feeling jealous or competitive or like people are encroaching on their territory. You can constantly create your own territory. There is not a finite space that you can claim. And if somebody encroaches on it, it yours is just, it's done, your share is over. Uh, you have to remember that being supportive is far, by far the best thing you can do for your own headspace and to be a helpful contributing member of the community of entrepreneurs you're in and i just i i cannot believe we i to, i cannot live in a world without believing that you won't get much farther by supporting people than undercutting them or undermining them or talking badly about them and i know i talk bad about a lot of celebrities but yeah i'm talking strictly in business here <laughs> uh I, I try to support people when it matters but anyway um what was i talking about oh yeah being your own hero i'll let mariah carey do the rest of the talking but I hope everybody has a good week. As always, if you could subscribe, rate, review, mean the world to me. Your review on iTunes won't go through unless you create a unique username under your settings. You keep you have to keep do, making new usernames until it's it's uh, unique. And uh, so just like type a bunch of numbers and hope for the best. It would be my suggestion. <laughs> um, and if you want to support the podcast, go to be there in five dot com. Wait, nope, nope, that's not it. Well, you can. You can buy doormats at be there in 5.com and be there in 5.etsy.com and among other products we make that I probably should talk way more about on this podcast, but I fear wear out and wear out is a powerful and very real thing. Um, so instead, what I meant to hawk was patreon.com, P A T R E O N.com slash be there in five because one dollar helps me keeping to do this podcast. Sand sponsors, we're on 20, episode 25, which is crazy uh and i still don't have sponsors but i also haven't really actively pursued them and that is something i'm working on now again can't feel sorry for myself if i'm not sending out the emails and hustling i just feel incredibly awkward talking about myself and selling myself and if anybody wants to help me with that for a very small hourly rate reach out <laughs> um 
But anyway, guys, I hope you have a great week. Thanks, as always, for joining. And uh, as always, let me know your thoughts, and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. Just kidding. <laughs> I'll be there in five, I swear.